We are in a section of the book of Revelation that deals with the final outpouring of God's wrath. In chapters 15 and 16, when we looked at those, we saw that outpouring was described as the seven last plagues, or the seven bowls of God's wrath. And with them, we were told, God's wrath is completed. So these chapters are dealing with the end of history. And they contain lots of things that are hard for us to hear. They present us with pictures we find hard to look at. But we need to look at them and hear them because this is reality. The dream world is the world we live in day to day where life goes on as if there's no judgment to come. We are living in a dream world when we go about our business and make our choices as if this world is all there is. And Revelation is here to show us the folly of ignoring God or defying him and to show us the wisdom of pursuing him and living for him day to day. So as well as warning us with these terrible pictures of judgment, this book is going to close with a vision of the world we all want. It's going to promise us that God will deliver a future where all of our deepest longings are fulfilled. They will be fulfilled by God himself in his new heaven and earth. But first... Before we get to that final vision, we have to see the folly of looking for ultimate fulfillment from this temporary world. That's what our passage this morning is about. Turn with me, if you have a Bible, to Revelation chapter 18. It's in the church Bibles, page 1246, and in the large print, 1932. The fall of Babylon the prostitute has been mentioned several times before. It's part of this final outpouring of God's wrath. And now we're given a detailed description of it. At the very end of this, we're going to get a glimpse, just an announcement of Revelation's other lady, the bride of the Lamb. I'm going to read from chapter 18, verse 1, right through to chapter 19, verse 10. John writes, After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, 
so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Pour her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit enthroned as queen. I am not a widow. I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day, her plagues will overtake her. Death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire. For mighty is the Lord God who judges her. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry, Woe! Woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood and articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron and marble, cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and human beings sold as slaves. They will say, the fruit you longed for is gone from you. All your luxury and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, woe, Woe to you, great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain and all who travel by ship, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea, will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, Was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour she has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets, for God has judged her with the judgment she imposed on you. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, pipers and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No worker of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's important people. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of prophets and of God's holy people of all who have been slaughtered on the earth. 
After this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen! Hallelujah! Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. This is God's word. In previous weeks, we've seen how the historical city of Babylon is used in the book of Revelation as a symbol for any and every city. It represents everything in human culture and society that promises to give us what only the living God can give us. Babylon is all the things that promise us security and fulfillment. And we've been shown the great attraction of Babylon. She's been pictured as a seductive lady, glittering with all kinds of luxury. When John saw her, he was awestruck, and not just with fear. This woman is really attractive. At least, she's really attractive in the present. But at the start of chapter 18, John is given a vision of how she's going to look in the future. Look again at verse 2. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit. A haunt for every unclean bird. A haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. We've noticed before how Revelation often pictures the same thing in several different ways and flips between those different pictures. So for example, the church has been pictured in this book as a group of lampstands and as a temple and as a city. And with Babylon, the picture alternates between a woman and a city. Here, it's the city. We're showing what's ahead for this city that today looks so full of life and energy. Its future is to become a ruin. 
It's pictured as a deserted, dilapidated place. Instead of a thriving center of excitement and activity, it's a home to wild dogs, filthy birds, and demons prowling around among the ruins. It's a similar picture to the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament. At one time, Babel was the center of human ambition. The people of Babel said, let's build ourselves a city so that we may make a name for ourselves. Let's build ourselves a tower reaching to the heavens. But in the end, Babel became nothing but a derelict pile of rubble. And much later, the historical city of Babylon went the same way. Its famous hanging gardens became just a wasteland. Today, it's a little village. That all happened long before John saw this vision. But those broken down cities show the future of every enterprise and institution that offers to deliver what only God can deliver. They may promise us security and prosperity and fulfillment, but at the very best, they can only deliver those things for a brief moment. Babylon is going to fall. And so those who put their hope in Babylon who give themselves to drinking her wine and chasing her luxuries, they're going to be left with nothing. And so the fall of the prostitute will be mourned by those who put their hope in her. Look down to verse 8. In one day, her plagues will overtake her. Death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour, your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Then we have a list of that cargo. And down in verse 14 we read, They will say, The fruit you longed for is gone from you. All your luxury and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The people weeping and mourning here are those who sold their souls to financial prosperity. Who looked to material things for their security. The fall of Babylon means the end of their security and prosperity. And actually, they're in shock here at the suddenness of this fall. At the end of verse 10, in one hour, your doom has come. That's repeated in verse 17. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. And in verse 19, in one hour, she has been brought to ruin. 
In the time scale of Revelation, one hour is the shortest space of time. These people are in shock because suddenly this great city that looked unshakable has turned into dust. These people bet their lives on Babylon and they lost. It all came to nothing. And so they sing this song of lament. Not for Babylon, but for their own loss. This is not godly mourning. They're mourning the failure of their idols that they trusted. And their mourning goes on in the verses that follow. But then in verse 21, an angel underlines what an abrupt end Babylon is going to have. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, with such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. A millstone was a massive thing used for grinding grain. It took a few oxen to even turn it around. And when a millstone hits the ocean floor, it's never coming up again. The angel says, Babylon's fall will be as final as that. And not only will her wealth and luxury disappear, so will her parties. We mustn't think wealth is the only thing Babylon offers. She promises a serious good time as well. In America, there used to be adverts on TV that always ended with the caption, Miller time. They always showed in one form or another, beautiful people in beautiful places, always laughing with party music, booze flowing freely and a golden light falling on everything. The kind of picture that says, if you're not here with us, then you're missing out. Revelation would call that not Miller time, but Babylon time. Now there's nothing wrong with beautiful people in beautiful places. But if our motto in life is eat, drink, and be merry, if that's what captivates us, then one day we will be left mourning. Because Babylon time will come to an abrupt end. Look at verse 22. The music of harpists and musicians, pipers and trumpeters, will never be heard in you again. No worker of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Whether we look to Babylon for security in stuff and wealth or whether we look to Babylon for fun times and great experiences. Whichever of her promises we cling to 
and sell our soul for, the end is the same. We will be left mourning. When she falls and her big promises fail. So here's the message of chapter 18. Don't waste your life with the prostitute. It's spelled out back in verse 4 for us. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. What does it mean to come out of Babylon? Well, since Babylon, we've seen, is not a literal city as it's used here in Revelation. This cannot be a call to move to another place. Coming out of Babylon means refusing to join in with her sins. Refusing to take on her values. Refusing to set our hearts on anything she has to offer us. Sometimes people talk about going off the grid. Recently I heard a homeless guy boasting that he'd opted out of the system. But that is not what we're being called to here. The New Testament assumes Christians will participate in society. But we are not to participate in our society's idolatry. We're not to live as if this present world is our home. As if she can fulfill us. When we've come out of Babylon, then we participate in society, yes, but we do so as foreigners and exiles. That's how Peter describes it. We are to live good lives among the pagans. We are to be good citizens who care about our community. We are to do good in this world. But we are to do it without thinking this world is the greatest good. We are to serve God in this world. But we are not to serve the idols of this world. And we are only going to manage that if we remember our true citizenship is in heaven. When we forget that, then we're just wasting our lives with the prostitute. We become just consumers of whatever it is she offers us. And all that she offers us will come to a very sudden end. David Wells says, if you focus on the shiny stuff that glitters for a moment, at the end of your life you will find that your hands are empty. The fall of the prostitute will be mourned by those who put their hope in her. But it will also be a reason for praise in heaven. Why? Because her punishment is just. Chapter 19, verse 1. 
After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven, shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen. Hallelujah. Last Sunday night, Steve made the point that God's faithfulness works two ways. He is faithful in love and he is faithful in wrath. That's what we see here. God is faithful to save those who run to the Lamb for mercy. And he is faithful to judge those who defy him and refuse to run to the Lamb. He's faithful to avenge the blood of his people too. The people purchased by the Lamb. This is a big theme in Revelation. It's come up several times before. And here the very end of chapter 18 told us that in Babylon was found the blood of prophets and of God's holy people, of all who have been slaughtered on the earth. That's another reminder, this city is not just one place at one point in time. It's this whole world system through all time calling us to trust it for our security rather than trusting God. That system consistently crushes those who give their allegiance to the Lamb. Chapter 18 told us Babylon's sins are piled up to heaven and that God has remembered her crimes. And here in chapter 19, God's just vengeance on Babylon is a reason for praise in heaven. God has done what is right. He has not ignored that evil that was piled up to the sky. The passage ends by telling us the prostitute's fall is a reason for praise in heaven because her fall means the rise of the bride. Verse 5. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Revelation presents us with two women. We've already met the prostitute. 
And now the second lady is introduced. The bride of the Lamb. The church. And just as the prostitute was introduced in the book before we actually saw her, so here the bride is introduced before we see her. This is like an announcement before she makes her grand entrance in chapter 21. This is like, please stand for the bride. This is the people of God. All those who wouldn't give themselves to the prostitute. And so very often they were despised and rejected by this world. In many ways they seem to be losing out in this world. They didn't give their hearts to the pleasures of Babylon time. They didn't sell their souls for wealth or importance in the eyes of Babylon. And so very often they counted for nothing in Babylon. But when Babylon falls, the bride rises. Babylon's fall means the bride's wedding day has come. The time when the lamb comes to claim his bride. That's the picture here. The message of the picture is summed up in this paraphrase of Proverbs chapter 5 verse 20. Why would you trade enduring intimacies for cheap thrills with a whore? Now in the context of that chapter, Proverbs is talking about human relationships. But it's exactly the question Revelation is asking about ultimate relationships. This world, Babylon the whore, offers us cheap thrills. Plenty of them. Any kind you want. But Revelation is asking us, why would we settle for that when we could have enduring intimacies instead? Eternal pleasures in the presence of God. And the point is, we can't have them both. We have to trade one for the other. Choose the cheap thrills of the whore and in the end you're left outside God's eternal city. You're left in the burning ruins of the city you chose instead. Babylon. On the other hand, if you choose the enduring intimacies of heaven if you choose to keep yourself for the wedding supper of the Lamb, then the whore and her friends are after your blood. People say, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Well, if we turn our back on the great prostitute, she will come after us like a woman scorned. We'll feel her fury in one way or another. So we have to choose. The temporary banquet of Babylon, this world, or the eternal wedding supper of heaven. 
Maybe you're listening and thinking, come on. That's not as dramatic as all that, is it? Surely the choice isn't so stark, so cut and dried. Maybe you're thinking, I'm a Christian and I'm not feeling the fury of Babylon. Maybe we don't feel Babylon's fury because we blend in a bit too well with Babylon. Remember what Jesus said to the church in Laodicea back in chapter 3. You say, I'm rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve the pit in your eyes so that you can see. Jesus is talking to the church. The church that was prospering in the Babylon of their day. but the church that was shamefully poor in the eyes of heaven. So I shouldn't be too pleased with myself if Babylon seems to be leaving me alone. It might be because I look like one of her own. You may have noticed though the wording here In chapter 19, verses 7 and 8, seems a little bit odd. Look at it again in the middle of verse 7. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Maybe that doesn't seem odd to you, but it should catch our attention. Because of something we were told earlier in this book. Back in chapter 7, John saw the bride of the Lamb. She wasn't called the bride then. She was described as the great multitude round God's throne. But it's the same body of people. They were wearing white robes standing for purity. And John was told why those robes were white. Because they'd been washed and made white in the blood of the Lamb. In other words, the purity of God's people in heaven is brought about by the blood of the Lamb. Those who trust in Jesus and his death for their sins, those men and women are given Jesus' purity as a gift. He takes their filthy, sinful robes and gives them his own white, righteous robes. Chapter 7 said, our white robes are a gracious gift. So then, should we just ignore what we're told here? That the robes are the righteous acts of the saints? No, we're being told something else here about the same robes we saw in chapter 7. Yes, the robes are a gift from Christ. They are unearned, received by faith in him. And those who are given white robes 
will live changed lives here and now. They'll begin to show glimpses of those robes today. So the New Testament tells us we can't earn heaven. And it tells us if we are on our way to heaven, our lives will start to show it. The white robes Jesus has given us will start to shine through in our lives. Jesus put it like this. He asked the question, how do you tell a good tree from a bad one? And his answer was, by its fruit. Every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Then he said, it's the same with people who profess to be my disciples. By their fruit, you will recognize them. So if we are on our way to heaven, then we are wearing robes we do not deserve. And we will begin to do things that are worthy of the robes we wear. We will begin to produce good fruit in our lives. So our righteous acts won't get us into heaven. But when we arrive in heaven and look back over our lives there will be evidence of righteous acts. It will be obvious our lives were changed by God's grace. That's what these verses are telling us. How does this fit in with the passage as a whole? Well, this is the main theme of our passage. Remember, the message of chapter 18 was, don't waste your life with the prostitute. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins. Turn away from Babylon, forsake her idols. Don't chase her cheap thrills. What's the message here in chapter 19? The message is, make yourself ready for the wedding supper of the Lamb. The wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. She lived in such a way that her white robes shone through already in this life. She pursued holiness and Christ-likeness. She did righteous acts. She produced good fruit. And so when the wedding supper comes... She's ready. She's not going to begin a completely different life. She's going to enter the perfection of the life she'd already started here on earth. It's a bit like the transition from an engagement to a marriage. If a person is genuinely in love... They don't spend the engagement dishonoring and disrespecting their future spouse. They already begin to do what they will do more fully later on. Then when the marriage comes, it's not a step into something completely different. 
It's a step into fuller, more intimate honor and respect. That's what it means to make ourselves ready for the wedding of the Lamb. If we call ourselves Christians, but we spend this life chasing after Babylon the prostitute, then when the Lamb comes back, we'll end up with the one we really wanted all along. We will get the ruins of Babylon instead of the Lamb's eternal city. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these glimpses of the future. We thank you for showing us ahead of time the fall of the prostitute and the rise of the bride. We ask you to help us. Help us to make ourselves ready for the wedding of the Lamb. Maybe for some of us that means coming to the Lamb for the very first time. Admitting our sin and asking for his mercy and forgiveness. Many of us though have already done that. And so we want to live today like people who are engaged to the Lamb. We don't want to live like people who really prefer the other woman, Babylon. And so whatever position we are in right now, we ask you to captivate us with your eternal beauty. Captivate us with the prospect of the enduring intimacies at your right hand in heaven. Help us to see through the momentary glitter that's all around us. Amen. Let's sing songs that help us